0: Hey there. Welcome to Real Marketing, where we look at real-world marketing tactics, measurement, and tips that will help you get more from your marketing programs. I'm Roy Bielowitz from Apotheca Marketing, and with me today is Ken Williams. Ken is a marketer and consultant who has helped hundreds of companies tackle analytics and data engineering projects over the last 12 years. Ken specializes in using data and cloud computing to solve traditional marketing problems, and he currently works with Search Discovery as their Google solutions lead. Ken, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Uh, for those of you listening who don't know, I also used to work with Ken in the past. Now almost ancient history. It's been years ago. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't seem like it should be that long. No. We're so well. Ken he, Yeah, no kidding. I know. Tell me about it. Uh <laughs> Ken, you work primarily with Google products, right? Like, what what are you seeing right now in the industry? Obviously the big news everybody's talking about is the forced migration to GA4, Google's new analytics platform, um, with all of its bugs and issues and new definitions and all that kind of stuff. Uh, What are you seeing is the biggest thing that companies are dealing with right now and and what they're doing with Google that you're involved with?
1: Yeah. I think that there are two big things happening. I've been thinking about this a lot lately and blogging about it a lot, That the um, privacy pressure, the changing expectations and how we handle customer data is, is something that a lot of people are struggling with. And then the other element is cloud computing and what to do with it and what kind of problems it should solve. GA4 is just one more tool and it does make you know it helps with both of those things or it it certainly takes a position on how to get your data into the cloud and also how to handle privacy and consent in a unique way so you know other competitors um are taking different approaches Um, however it's you know it's constant that i'm in conversations around what should we be doing about Right. consent And data retention and, you know, um, making sure that we've got like a legal basis for data we're collecting about users, things like that. I honestly, that's probably the number one thing that I see people struggling with. But, right. you know, at the end of the day, because we got the deadline coming up to get on GA four, I'm also just in the weeds of changing tags over a lot too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's,
0: that's, I think a lot of companies really tried to ignore it because they were like, Oh, they're, they're not really going to make us. Switch on July first. You know they'll extend the deadline or something like that. And yeah. So we're seeing a lot of companies that are scrambling and unfortunately don't have year-over-year data now in GA4 and also. Um, and I don't know if you've run into this, but we're seeing a lot of people that think like, "Hey, I know how to, you know, implement universal analytics. That was no problem. So it's probably just the same for GA4, right? And um, yeah, it's not."
1: <laughs> You know, GA4 has been around kind of a long time. Like it has. It's in 2019, that they released the App Plus Web beta, and I did. Uh, I had a client who, in like fall of 2019, had a web and app situation, and so I went to them. I was like, "There's this new thing Google's released. We'll set you up on Universal Analytics. Be able to try this App Plus Web. It's the new version." So we set it up, and it was a disaster. I've been doing at the time I've been doing universal analytics since it came out and the, the version before that for the prior, like three or four years. And, uh, we did everything wrong. So, uh, <laughs> I started yep. writing down, I, uh, in early 2020, I started writing articles about best practices and then I turned them into uh, my blog because yep. it was such a hard thing to do. Like my reading four was so different. Yep. And we'll link to your blog, by the way, too, so that people can see
0: that in the description if they're watching from YouTube. Um, Yeah, I mean, we've seen it, too, where teams say they know how to implement GA4. And, and, you know, we have a retailer um, client, actually a couple of them that have done this, where they will, you know, just something as simple as like um, not realizing that events are case sensitive. And, you know, they'll put in Purchase with a capital P, and suddenly wonder where all of their purchase data is in GA four. Yeah. And that ev- that new event, capital P purchase is getting recorded, but it's not showing up in the standard GA four report. So, yeah. um, you know, it's just little things
1: like that, that can really screw up your data if you're not paying attention. I, uh, my first time that same client, that first one, I just called it page view. I didn't put page underscore view. And, yeah, same sort of thing. I thought it was working for a couple of months (laughs) until I figured that out because I couldn't, I don't know why, I couldn't do something. But, yeah, there's a uh, a mixed bag. So the fact that Google has given us this structure means that you have to know it and learn it and understand what the Mm -hmm. recommended events are. But on the other side of that, as long as you use it, you're following some design so Google understands what the data is that you're sending to it. And so it allows Google to create reports for you. Whereas in the old days, category, action, and label is just the wild west. You put anything you do, I had no idea. You got the one of ins report. Now you can actually see, you know, there are use cases where they'll help you like, uh, create cards because you're giving yep. be a certain event. And that's nice. And on the consulting side, it's nice because all of our clients have somewhat of a standard structure. So we could build dashboards and copy them, you know, across clients and things like that we couldn't do before things like lead generated event, which are everywhere. Everybody, you know, both websites we work with have some sort of form of it. So, uh, yeah. Um, what
0: is your, have you been running into the situation where you're having to educate your clients a lot about some of the new definitions and calculated metrics and you know how sessions are calculated and that kind of stuff like how are you addressing that
1: you know the thing that i'd have found coming up most frequently is questions about why the count of sessions and users don't match across tools and that mm-hmm. usually back into it with a conversation about what's different in the we if you get in the weeds it can go technical fast you know because yeah. sessions are written in a and the session identifier is written in a cookie now. Yep. And that used to be just processed on the server. And the way that I explain this to clients is there was a lot of problems with the older method. <laughs> you know, so uh, Universal Analytics, I actually looked this up recently um, for a blog post I was working on. Universal Analytics came out the same year as React, I think it was 2012, right? And so they weren't prepared. It wasn't prepared to handle single-page applications. And um, as a result, Sessions was a real problem. You know, single-page apps by the last couple of years were pretty ubiquitous. And um, the way Sessions were calculated just was confusing in Universal Analytics and broken a lot of times and created this weird problem called the rogue refer issue, uh, if you remember. And so writing that cookie fixes all that and um so it also means that when you actually define a session some of the rules change um you can in theory have multiple channels be attributed to a single session now which you, you buy before because you know because it would have just started a new one so the way that i like to think about it is there are subtleties um in general this isn't always true but in general you can trust that those subtleties are fixing some issues with universal analytics and when you see a number in ga4 more likely than not it's a better representation of user behavior than what you saw in your right yeah what are what are some of the other things that you're
0: seeing that are common questions and issues that from clients right now
1: a lot of uh, challenges, uh, just comparing year over year data. So, oh, for sure, that's a big one. You mentioned that, especially people who waited to do the migration until it was the very end. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, there's a lot of ways to get at that, but it's not something you can do overnight. You can't just pull that data out if you didn't you know, buy GA 360 for the old version. And if yep. you did do that, then you might already have all that, <laughs> but if you didn't do that. Um, it's not a, a super quick solve. Like you have to do some planning and you have to pull reports from the API. And, you know, those aren't the same as having raw data. So you, you have to think about what exactly am I going to do with this data in the future and then decide what do I need? Cause you're not going to have access to your historic data forever, which is new. And, you know, Google in the past had a reputation of never shutting down old stuff. Right. As far as I know, Urchin still runs in some parts of the internet. GA.js and Analytics.js. This was the first time they've started just cutting you off. Right. And no one saw that coming. That's an Adobe move, right? To just say, just just stop working. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. yeah and I think that there's you know not only that are they cutting off the data, but there's you know people aren't used to the idea of hey, fourteen months is the maximum for you know doing explore data and I'm gonna have to look at other data warehousing solutions, whether it's bigquery or or some other third party solution that I'm gonna have to pay for yeah um, you know and and we've run into clients now that you know they've started looking you know, using, because GA4 is isn't the easiest reporting dashboard solution. They've started using Looker Studio, formerly Data Studio, more and more. And there's the data cutoff, you know? So if you actually are, you know, creating too many widgets on the page and looking at it too often, you get error errors because, yeah. you know, they're shutting off your, your views. And so people are like, Hey. Now we're being kind of forced to pay for a data warehousing solution.
1: Yeah. Good news is some of those are super cheap, right? Like I always tell my yeah. clients that like less than $200 a month probably gets you what you need, but they're complicated. And, you know, if you have an hour of services from someone to help you set it up, it's, you know, the $200 that you spend, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I actually think that a lot of this comes down to that privacy. Privacy is forcing us to be... A little more thoughtful up front about what we want to do with data. And so um, I think if you make a decision from the beginning that says, I want to be able to set annual goals and I want to, I know what they are in advance and I need some amount of user data to do that. And you plan that and then you're just executing it. You know, you need 13 months of data for that and you know what data you need. If you decide that you need more than that, you know, for whatever reason, maybe you need to train a model and you need three years of data. Then at that point, then it's like, okay, I can only do 14 months in, in the user interface and get some data if I export to BigQuery. Um, or I could just start pulling reports from the API and saving data without paying for BigQuery, save it in a Google Sheet. Um mm-hmm. things like that. Like you just have to come up with a solution, but it really takes more planning. And in the old days, Nobody planned anything. We just collected everything and kept it forever. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, have had that conversation with with clients too. And I'm like, do you really need it? Or is it just kind of data hoarding? You know, are you just hoarding it because you, you don't know if you'll need it in the future and you just want to have it because it's your data. And you know, does something that's older than two years really tell you anything about your current business or help you make decisions about today because it's old data. Like so much has changed, your website has changed, your you know that kind of stuff. So,
1: well, we had this vision in the past that you would create, collect all this data, and you create a 360 degree view of the customer, and then you right. know exactly what kind of value you're getting in return for your advertising, and you'd be able to craft the perfect message to persuade every customer. And it never worked. And I think that what we have to do is let go of that vision yeah, because it didn't ever really make sense. And, uh, it's now a violation of privacy expectations across the globe. Everyone has decided, they don't like you keeping our data forever for any purpose you think of in the future. So that's the the old way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, we've, we've been having that conversation with clients and I know the other thing that we've been having is a lot of people are like, well, let's start looking at other tools and, um, You know, we had a a guest on recently who wrote a book about that. Jason Packer, who wrote about like Google alternatives. Are you having those conversations? Are you having clients, you know, kind of like, damn it. I don't want this product anymore. We want to look at something else.
1: Yeah, for sure. I would say particularly in healthcare, you know, anyone subject to HIPAA, um, is, uh, has challenges with Google Analytics. It's possible to use Google Analytics, but Google has outright said, we are not trying to be HIPAA compliant, and we won't sign the BAA forms. And so that one sector is the most challenged um, from my perspective. Right. Uh, um, The rest of the world, you know, it's really a matter of what, uh, I think that there's been a lot of frustration with the user interface for GA4. I I that, yeah. The actual data collection mechanism has been really well received. People like the event-based data model and people like mm-hmm. being able to like get that data into BigQuery for free if you have, you know, a small enough amount of it. And But um, so I think there are pros and cons, you know. The other thing I'll say though is the modeling that Google applies uh, behavioral and, and conversion modeling it makes people uncomfortable from my yeah. experience, but um, it also probably in reality does give you a better representation of what's happening than not having it. Because we all sort of knew there were just black holes in our data where people were rejecting cookies or using ad blockers, and Google's just done some work to help you uh, like f- estimate the magnitude of that. And we knew we needed it but it's weird to look at a report and know that some of this is synthetic. It's not all mm-hmm. observed. And um so some people are uncomfortable with that other people are and so you know I think if people um are using Google Analytics for data collection and they're not big users of the interface but they like things like Looker Studio or mm-hmm. they like kind of having that data just easily brought into a cloud environment where they can sit whatever modern data stack tool on top of it, they'll like GA4 will probably stick with it. Uh, it's those users who like to be able to pull up reports in the interface easily and quickly and they had certain ones that they were used to and metrics that, you know, are uh, changing how they're defined, you know, bounce rate and engagement rate and, and all that. Those are the ones who are struggling, I think, with frustrations. Where the lack of conversion rate and the base reporting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, some oversights like that. Yeah. I mean, we've had where we've run into, uh, with clients is, you know, just the very dramatic shift from using the AI data driven model for attribution to, you know, conversion compared to last click and, and, you know, it can dramatically change some programs and how, whether they're successful or not, and. Um, you know, we just have that conversation with them that basically like last click was always a flawed model anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and attribution is not nothing new. We've been doing it for well over a decade as far as trying to use various tools to do better attribution reporting and stuff. But, you know, it's disconcerting when they look at data in, in universal and then look at what they're getting in um, GA four and it's. Pretty yeah. dramatically different depending
1: it on the channel. makes your, like paid search campaigns look not as good, for example. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I do think this is a this is a little bit of a shift too, um, because part of uh, the vision that we're having to let go of of that three hundred sixty degree view of the customer was this like hope that we would get to a point where attribution could answer that question: What am I getting in return for the yeah. dollars I spend? Them. And attribution has always been probably like a, a less perfect tool for that than we wanted to admit. But now that Safari is blocking third-party cookies and it's capping the duration of a user, even in a first-party cook context cookie, to seven days, it's uh, the data is just, you know, we know it's less reliable. And so the question is, well, what should I be? What questions are valuable to answer through multi-touch and what questions should I be doing some kind of incrementality test because I really want to know what I'm getting in return for my money I probably have to do some kind of geography split test but multi-touch attribution is still really useful for comparing one campaign to another and the relative importance of like what's working what's not making quick decisions but you can't only use it right it's not the only you going to have to have more tools in your toolbox, I think, than before. Mm-hmm. We'll yeah, for sure. And we also, you know,
0: are having the conversation with people, which we, we've always tended to have, but I think it's even more important now because like to your point, they are uncomfortable with this kind of black box of AI, you know, model data and stuff. But, um, is, is really your website analytics really is directional. It's not accounting information. You know, it's never going to match up with everything you're seeing in your ERP or your CRM. And, you know, you just have to view it as a directional indicator of overall health and behavior and not something that's, you know, scientific fact.
1: Yeah. There's an element of um, embracing uncertainty. What I think it's good for is I like to think that you're kind of being forced in this environment to be a fast fail type culture, like try things, get feedback, iterate a little more and just always be testing. And I think that analytics is perfect for that. It gives you quick feedback. Um, It lets you see when you try something, how it impacts users, but what it doesn't do is give you like an accounting tool and let you say, I've gotten Mm -hmm. dollars of revenue because I did something, um, which is, you know, we, those are important questions, but it's probably, it's, it's never the right tool for answering those questions. Right, right. Um, a
0: little outside of your realm, but I, I thought it was interesting that, um, Google is sunsetting optimized and there's hints, I guess bigger than hints, but there's talk that some of that functionality is going to end up becoming part of GA four. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? And do
1: you Yeah, I was sad. I thought Optimize was a good product um for for I mean, uh, it's great to have a free product to um, mm-hmm. run those tests. But for very simple tests, yeah. Yeah, there are other really good products out there. Um and I do I think that the challenge is gonna be making sure that you're always aligned really well on you know making sure users are bucketed into the right variants and making sure that google analytics kind of treats the scope the same as different tools but that being said um i think that it's nice that this is an example of a walled garden being brought down Mm -hmm. it used to be that you know there was And I don't know exactly what the integrations will look like. But it used to be that Google Analytics had some information that was not available to other products outside of Google. And the biggest ones are audiences. Like you can, in the browser, tell if someone converts against a goal because an event fires. But you don't always know if that user belongs to an audience based on some logic that you put into your segment builder. It seems like hopefully that's gonna now be opened up and pushed into other products. And that's pretty cool. That's an example I think of Google partnering with other people and figuring out what they do well and whether they don't wanna compete. So I, I appreciate that. Although I am certainly sad to see a great free tool
0: go away. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we used it all the time. And I think especially with clients who just had needed simple messaging on their site and stuff, we wouldn't even necessarily be using it for testing, but just for, you know, the banner (laughs) aspect of it. And, you know, for, for clients that don't have, you know, easy to work with tech teams and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. yeah, as far as like, you know, you needing to test a a call to action or the name on a button or something, it was wonderful. Yes. Especially when it was free. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about some
1: of the cloud work that you're that you're doing and where
0: that's going for you? Yeah,
1: you know, I mean, I've been off and on using Google Cloud integration with BigQuery for a while, um, and now the fact that it's free for everybody gives you this ability to test it out. You know, it's pretty yep. rare that I run across a website that doesn't have uh, that doesn't exceed the threshold of a million events a day. So most people probably, if they're gonna really embrace the what can they can do with getting that data into BigQuery, need to spend the fifty thousand dollars or so and buy G a three sixteen. Um but it lets you for free see what it looks like and try to like build a sandbox and test it out. The things that I'm working on are how do we just drop the barriers? to things that were previously really custom and really expensive in the cloud. So Mm -hmm. once your GA data is in the cloud, there's two ways that you can take it that I think of. One is you can build profiles about your customers and you can use that to integrate CRM data and build audiences and then push those out for advertising. The other is not users level, but just Prepare your data for anal, analyzing uh, like you would in a BI tool, like how do like, campaigns perform against each other and like setting KPIs and, and things like that. Again, because it's in the cloud, it's just really easy to bring in other data and you might have, you know, spend on um, media that's not in analytics. You can bring that in, especially if you're buying advertising to drive people to your website to convert, you can sort of just bring that in and make it easy to do that return on ad spin kind of analysis. Um, you know, but uh, even beyond that, a lot of people have CRM systems and people get added to those systems because they talk to a salesperson and not because they submitted a lead. And so you kind of, yep. it, most of those also integrate with BigQuery. So now you've got all this information it's it's easy to join and and you can do things like um you know media mix modeling is 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 easier now not as huge of a undertaking as it was when you had to kind of really work hard to get all your data sources yeah Um, you know doing some kind of advanced analysis like scoring the probability that a user is gonna buy something in the future is now easier than it ever has been. You can do it right in BigQuery, and Google gives all these tutorials away for how to do it. Yeah, you know, so so some of the more the barriers to doing advanced things with lots of data are dropping, and there's just great evidence that co- companies that are doing that are seeing return on investment. So, you know, that's a lot of what I spend my time thinking about is how do we just lower those barriers and let clients test things out. And mm-hmm. not make huge investments, but just try taking baby steps towards, you know, like building these audience profiles so that you can have your audiences synced, kind of like CDP use cases, but simpler. Yep. Yeah. How do we take baby steps towards that, get some value, and then grow it, you know, from there? Because there's, there's a million things you can do. It's sort of sky's the limit. Sure.
0: Yep. And I think a lot of people are, you know, relearning SQL. Because of BigQuery, <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure. And, and you know, it doesn't help that the data is so you know nested, and um, mm-hmm. it's kind of not like simple SQL either to to get yeah. it. But yeah, but you know, I actually think that's probably something that we're not going to get away from. Even if you're not using GA four and BigQuery, I think other tools are just going to require marketers to be a little bit more of. Uh, the term that I, I heard somebody using recently is technology generalists, you know, you don't mm-hmm. to be an expert in everything. But, like, knowing some SQL and maybe a little R or Python will get you a long way um, for solving marketing problems. And yep. also make you less reliant on a data team or an IT team. Being able to do some of those things yourself is probably becoming increasingly important. Yeah, and just even stuff like Regex and, you know, stuff like yeah. that is,
0: you know, people need to start learning that. And I think there's been always traditionally been like,
1: yeah, but I'm creative, I'm a marketer, I'm not, you know. Yeah, but. Well, you know, that's what uh, people who worked in finance in the 70s probably were in a similar position. They were like, I I build relationships is what I do. I I understand how businesses work. And then computers came along and completely changed all that. And they had to be really good at using computers to get information and decisions quickly. And nobody's gone back to the way that things worked in the 70s. You know, I think that we're seeing a little bit of that. You know, we've got new capabilities that are not going away, and it's smarter to figure out how they can help you and make some investments in your own skills, even if it's just a little bit, an hour a day of SQL practice. <laughs> right. Yeah, mm-hmm. unless you can uh, get... ChatGPT to write
0: some of those queries for you.
1: That's not a that's true and ChatGPT is not bad at it. So,
0: no, I've I've been testing it because I've I I haven't done SQL in over 20 years, you know. So, when I'm playing with BigQuery, I'm like, "How do you do an inner join again? And
1: how do you do it? like you know? Yeah. No, it's so, ChatGPT actually is um potentially going to even change everything I just said. So, who knows? Like, yeah. We're experiencing a lot of change right now, for sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: So what else are you working on? What are, what are some of the things that you're excited about and seeing, um, and, and encouraging clients to be working on that they may not have put forefront?
1: I mean, my focus right now is all about helping clients get really good at their first party data pipelines. So like the simplest use case is if you use Salesforce or some CRM and users are or deals are closing in there mm-hmm. getting that to a place you can optimize google ads or campaign manager against that you know rather than just the lead form on the website like we've been talking about yeah. that forever but it's not a new thing but um getting that kind of pipeline set up and getting comfortable and good at that and and as a consultant trying to get it where i can replicate it across clients really easily so it's not always custom data engineering work and uh, like getting to that point is like step one like that's just kind of like okay we've got our data integrated across these systems step two and the thing that i'm really excited about working on has to do with um adjusting like working on bid to value solutions mm-hmm. so like specifically there's a bunch of ways to do it but specifically the thing that i'm excited about and playing around with right now is, um, I described propensity modeling a minute ago, but looking at all the information that you know about a user that was sent to you after they clicked on an ad and scoring, was this a good or a bad quality user? And then sending that feedback back. So propensity models are really great for that because you can do that. You can get that feedback right away. And it's not perfect, mm-hmm. you know. I, I don't necessarily know, yes, 30 days from now, this person is going to buy something. But I can tell, right. like, they looked at four product pages and they added an item of the cart and they didn't buy it. And that's better than the user who just landed on page and bounced off. So I can immediately send some good feedback to Google and say, like, this customer, thank you. Send more like this one and less mm-hmm. like yeah. that other guy. Uh, so that's what I'm working on right now. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about this particular use case and the early potential it's shown for helping right. get some good, good quality customers to their site. And it's also a cookie durable solution, right? Cause you're, you're not necessarily tracking a user's behavior over a long period of time that relies on cookies. Um, yep. you are just sending your, you're sending a score to Google. It happens immediately. Um, and let Google use whatever data they have about that customer to find other similar customers. That's what's happening. Right. Yeah, no, that is exciting. Then That
0: would give definitely some good insight into, you know, better customer modeling for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, these projects are really fun too, and they're like the new thing. Like, I'm fortunate that I have a job where I can uh, work on things like this, you know. (laughs) I've got a lot of people on the team that are just, setting up GA4 tags. And, you know, I, I'm, um, I'm, I've worked myself into a kind of a cool role where I get to like work on some fun stuff and, and do less of that. than um, you know, I, I used to, but that being said, it is a little bit all hands on deck just to do like the basic keep the lights on stuff right now. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you do any, you, obviously you do have time for educational stuff.
0: Your blog is extremely informative. Inform- I personally get your newsletter and, and read your articles when they come out. So that's, uh, it's always insightful.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, I took a bit of a break from it for a while and I've just started to come back with some Mm -hmm. new things that I've been thinking about. For me, if I have something that I'm struggling, wrapping my mind around, it helps to write it down and put it out there because it forces them to, to just like think through it. And so I've, I've been jumping back into that lately. GA4 was the perfect time to start a blog. I got yeah, tons of questions. I didn't know how it worked. I and mean, when I'd figure something out, I'd just write it down. And then I was like, I don't have to remember it now. I can always go look that up on my blog. And uh, yeah, I kind of have used that the same way ever since just about other topics. Yeah. It, one of the things I found
0: that's been nice about GA4 is that um, there are still so many kind of questions that people have and, people are discovering new bugs or issues with it that not everybody knows. So there's not like these people who are like the great expert that know everything about GA4 because we're all just learning it right now. (laughs) You know, there's still, even though it's been around for a while, there's new stuff coming out all the time. It's like, oh, did you know this? Or did you know, you know, um, if you try to export this data or do this, you know, like everybody's kind of like, oh yeah. So,
1: it's the great equalizer to some extent, you know, Yeah, for sure it is. And there are a couple people who do a good job of, um, of kind of like leading the community a little bit in that way and putting out like, Hey, there's this new feature that I just saw in the demo account and they'll put it on LinkedIn or Twitter and like that kind of thing. I find really helpful and, uh, staying involved with people who I appreciate people who do that effort because it takes a lot of oh, yeah. work, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What are, what are your thoughts about some of the,
0: you know, I mentioned the bugs and stuff like that. We run into them a lot, but just the inconsistencies in GA4 that we're seeing, like, you know, there are, a metric may not be available in the standard reporting. It's available in Explore but then it's not available in Looker. Do you think that's an oversight or is that just growing pains?
1: I think it's growing pains. You know, it's hard for me to say. I don't, I don't know. It is, um, I think that the team at Google who's working on GA4 is really good. Uh, I've, like I've met a lot of them, and they're they're really smart people, and they're really overwhelmed with a lot of small things like that. And mm-hmm. I see it as they're ironing out a lot of it. Um, there's a lot of frustration that so much is still being ironed out as we're coming up to this deadline, which is fair. Um, But I think it's probably going to be this way for a little while longer because you know, like you said, there, um, there's a long list of like small kind of inconsistencies, particularly when pulling information out of the user interface, like you described. Yeah. They just need to be ironed out. So it's probably an unfair question to
0: ask because you work with Google very closely, but you work at a company that works with Adobe very closely, at least historically. Do you recommend moving to Google or staying with Google versus Adobe at this point? Or what are your thoughts in that realm?
1: I mean, everyone you ask, I, there's not an official um, uh, answer to this question. So it's a personal sure. question. I think that the answer for me is all, I would, I pref- because of the way I use Google Analytics, I would probably prefer to stay with GA 4 and the benefits there are, um, and like I said earlier, I really think it's great at collecting data in a really useful format. I really like using it in BigQuery. I also really like the modeling and it's got all the integrations to Google products that I think are really useful. Yeah, yeah. You know, but if, but if somebody wants to use a, if their goal is not around marketing, but customer experience, they want to understand what people are doing on a website. And they don't want to write SQL. Like that's a use case where I might say, okay, you're going to struggle a little bit with GA4, at mm-hmm. least temporarily. I don't think it's a great long-term solution personally to go to another product, but you've got a use case for considering it and at least weighing what your options are. So that's my that's my way of uh, being as diplomatic as possible. <laughs> diplomatic. <laughs> Yeah, it was an unfair question. Um
0: and I think I think you make a really good point though is that, you know, love it or hate it, the fact that there is such easy integration with Google's other tools and other platforms, especially using Google Tag Manager, like if you're using that to deploy it, which you should be using it to deploy GA4, um, you know, that integration with Google Ads and and Search Console and BigQuery and all of that combined is extremely powerful and I think there's yeah. not many other third party tools that would have that kind of you know benefit for sure. It definitely takes a lot more effort to implement you know
1: some of that or bring in pull in that data if you're not using GA. Yes, this is true and you know what we haven't talked about is server side Google tag. Oh, true. Yeah. I think is a pretty I mean it's hard to really use it um it takes a lot of effort to use it to the point where it gets a lot of value but it's pretty cool and a really unique offering um and it was for a while there's kind of two use cases that could potentially take javascript off of your website so your site could run faster put it on a server the other one was it could also extend cookie life for people using safari that one they pretty much clamped down on so the cookie life thing is not any longer a value proposition. You can, though, move tags off your website to the server and you can do it real cheap. The other thing that is pretty cool um, is once that data is in the server, you can enrich it. And I don't, I don't know any clients really seeing the power of that. But I think that there's a ton of potential there, particularly where you've got authenticated customers and you need to get at an a account. And I've got non-private data on my website, but when it hits the server, I can say, okay, I know who you are, and I'm going to do things like make sure you're in an audience bucket or my uh, I've, I've bucketed you properly for other tags to fire off or things like that to happen. Um, or setting up, uh, Google's enhanced conversion so that, you know, Google can then identify who you are It's all happening in a privacy safe way. Cause it's not happening in the browser. Like that to me is pretty exciting. And, and as far as I can tell, I know segment and Adobe others have server side solutions. As far as I can tell, Google's is, is very flexible, robust and super low cost for doing that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a great, yeah, that's a great point. And that is, I, th- I my very unscientific impression is that I've seen more companies in Europe experimenting with that for some reason, Uh, maybe because of the cookie issues historically and stuff. But, um, but yeah, I think it's an area that, um, people are fearful of because it does have to involve your IT teams and technical people to implement correctly. But,
1: um,
0: it's, uh, it definitely has a lot of potential power for sure.
1: Yeah, that's another thing. I think related to everything related to cloud, which you know, before we were talking about SQL, with servers like GTM, it's more like infrastructure. Like you have to have servers that are running that, you know, aren't getting overloaded. It's all a yeah. new like skill for most marketers. And um my impression is I don't think it's a good decision to ignore it. Ignore it. I don't think it's going away. It's like yeah, not everybody's doing it, but it's certainly growing and makes a lot of sense to, you know, spend a little time figuring out if it would help you. Um, so I, that's, that's kind of where my head's at and then why I spend so much time experimenting and testing around with these tools and writing blog posts about it is just because I think that we're seeing the start of marketing being a little bit more cloud heavy than it has been in the past. Sure. Well, I mean, I think that's just a
0: natural, too, with just the sheer amounts of data that marketing entails and, you know, like what you should be learning and and understanding about your customers and their behavior and stuff like that is, it's going to be more technical and going to be more data heavy.
1: Yeah. It's not going to change. It's not going to go backwards. Yeah. I don't make so. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Although media mix modeling is something that like 10 years ago, I think a lot of people would say we don't need that anymore, right? We have, we have attribution models now and media mix modeling is is too much work. And now we're kind of back. Maybe this is an example of going backwards. Leo. Real yeah. One, that thing that doesn't need cookies to work.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think the whole cookie thing has really changed the, the conversation for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And AI, you know, the, the power of, You know, using some of these AI tools that is only going to increase being able to take your missing data and extrapolate what might be missing. And, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think of marketing from a non-creative perspective, you know, because that's Mm. my world. But generated AI can certainly disrupt anyone who's built a career out of doing creative things, which is funny because someone at Google actually pointed this out to me we always think of technology as freeing up humanity to focus on arts and taking over other aspects of life. And this is an area where it's doing the opposite mm-hmm. and, um, you know, potentially generative images. And then in a year or two from mm-hmm. now, gener- generative video content might completely change the way that where our marketing teams are generating creative and thinking about where those investments go and, what they, what kinds of skills you need to do it, that's, yep. that's going to be a, I think everybody is a, at this point a, in agreement that that's a disruption that's coming fast.
0: Yeah, we, we had a, a, guest on recently, um, Chris Boggs, um, to talk about SEO and, and using chat GPT and AI in that area and writing content and stuff. And he had a great quote that he shared that was in, a, I'll paraphrase, but it was something like, you're not going to lose your job to ai but you will lose your job to somebody using ai
1: mm-hmm.
0: so, <laughs> like, Great so it, it depends on how you're using it to speed up your workflow and change your you know habits and even from a designer creative aspect you know understanding how to, to prompt it correctly and maybe tweak the images after and, you know, or the copy and, and all that kind of stuff is, is going to be part of the process. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of no different than when, you know, Photoshop first came out and people were like, Oh, it's going to kill photography and you know, that kind of stuff. And people can, you know, be taking bad images and making better images out of them. And, you know, it's like, so it didn't really kill photography. It just changed it.
1: It did. And yeah. And if you're a photographer, you better know a little bit about Photoshop now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you don't have to get it right in camera. Yeah. All right. Well, Ken, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk with us and uh, for everybody listening, like I said, we will share a link to Ken's very informative blog and as well his his, uh, LinkedIn and other social media if he wants to share that. So we'll share that with you. And uh, Ken, it's been too long, and it was good talking to you. And hopefully, we uh, can have you back on again as more of these changes come down the pipeline for Google, and we we'll see some of the the other things happen. And we'll have you back and talk about those.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Let's do it again.
0: All <laughs> right, great. Thank good you. Boy.